listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Second Kings chapter 5. Currently, like I said, in the books of First and Second Kings here at Whitefields, we like to study through books of the Bible. And today we're in Second Kings chapter 5. So please turn there with me in your Bibles and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for how it speaks to us. And we come to your word this morning expectant, Lord, that you have a word to speak to us. So, Lord, give us hearts to hear. Give us hearts to receive. Lord, we pray that there would be nothing that you want us to receive that we would not receive this morning. Lord, give us truly receptive, malleable, formable hearts that are soft to the touch uh, and responsive to your voice. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, this has been a crazy year. I don't need to tell you that. There's a virus spreading around the world, which has uh, infected a lot of people, even our president and the first lady now. And this is a disease. uh, It's a virus which causes a disease for which there's no cure. So it's an incurable disease that's highly contagious. In this past year, over 200,000 people just in the United States have died from this disease or complications from this disease. That's over twice the population of our city. Can you believe that? And yet, let me say this, it's interesting, as terrible as this disease is, and it is terrible, understand that 96% of people who get it survive. So it's a terrible disease, and yet the survival rate's pretty high. Also, this is now October, And so we're in the month of October, which is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, as some of you might know. And of course, cancer is also a terrible disease. It ravages your body. It it takes the lives of so many people. There are treatments for cancer, but there's no cure. Cancer is an incurable disease. Now, there are different kinds of cancer. But the good news is that there are a lot of people living in the world today who are survivors of cancer. There are actually over 15 million people in the United States today who are living as survivors of cancer. But I want you to just think about that. As bad as cancer is, as bad as COVID-19 is, understand this. What if there was a disease that was both highly contagious and incurable, and on top of that, it had a 0% recovery rate, 100% mortality rate. Everybody who got it died. That would be bad, right? Well, this kind of disease did exist. It did exist. And we're going to meet somebody in our text today who contracted this disease. His name was Naaman, and the disease was leprosy. In the Bible, leprosy is commonly used as a picture of sin. And the reason is because there are a lot of similarities between what leprosy does to your body and what sin does to your soul. And so as we look at this story here in 2 Kings chapter 5, Naaman's story of having leprosy and what he did and how he was healed, I want you to understand something, that healing from leprosy requires a work of God, and it's received through a response of faith. But here's the other thing you need to know. His story is also your story. It's also my story, because leprosy is a picture of sin. As we read this story, we're not just reading about a guy in the past who had a disease. We're reading about ourselves, guys. 
And as we do that, keep this sentence in mind. Here's our outline for our text today. It's going to be in this sentence, and we're going to break this sentence down. Healing from leprosy requires a work of God and is received through a response of faith. Every week I've been giving you a sentence. That sentence kind of functions as our outline. So as we study the passage, we work our way through this sentence, and I encourage you to write that sentence down, take a photo of it, memorize it. When somebody asks you later on this afternoon, what did you guys talk about at church? You're going to remember that sentence, and you're going to be able to tell them, okay? All right, so let's break down this sentence. Healing from leprosy. Uh, chapter 5 begins with these words in verse 1. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria, and he was a mighty man of valor. So this man, Naaman, interesting, he's not a Jew. He's a Syrian. And the Syrians at this time were the arch enemies of the people of Israel. And the reason was because, as we've read already in the book of 2 Kings, but as we'll continue to see, the Syrians were just constantly waging war on Israel and attacking them in raids and battles, etc. And listen, Naaman wasn't just a Syrian. We read here, Naaman was the commander of the Syrian army, right? He's the guy leading the charge into Israel with raids, attacks, etc. And yet, in spite of the fact that he's a Syrian, right, arch enemies of Israel, and he's the commander of the Syrian army, it tells us here in verse 1 that he was also a great man. Like, he was a good dude, right? He was, a, he was highly favored. Even though Naaman didn't love God, he's a pagan, right? Even though he doesn't love God, even though he doesn't walk with God, it's interesting. It says that he was a good person, as we might say in our day, right? He was highly respected. He was very successful. In fact, it says that the Lord had given him favor in the battles he fought for the Syrian army, which is kind of weird, right? Because who did he fight those battles against? Israel, at least some of them. And so that's interesting. Now you might wonder, if God loves the people of Israel, if they're his chosen people, if God loves Israel, and the Bible says over and over that he did, then why would God give victory to the enemies of Israel when they attacked Israel? And the reason is this, because... The people of Israel at this time, by and large, had turned away from the Lord and turned their backs on God. And the leadership of Israel, the kings and queens of Israel, as we've seen, they have been the ones leading the charge and encouraging people to turn away from the Lord in their hearts. And so it's actually, interestingly, it's because God loves Israel that he has allowed the Syrians to defeat them on occasion and to wage battle against them and to sometimes win. Listen, here's why. Because God knows something about our character. And you know what that is? As human beings, here's the deal. We have a tendency that when we are comfortable, we have a tendency to drift into complacency. When we are comfortable, we have a tendency to drift into complacency. This is true of all of us. right? And throughout the Bible, there are examples of times when because God loves his people, he will allow them to experience times of great difficulty in order to shake them up out of their complacency and drive them back to himself. And so here's, here's why. Because, friends, God cares more about your soul than he does about your comfort. Let me just say that one more time. God cares more about your soul than he does about your comfort. Do you remember what Jesus said? He asked a question. What does it benefit a person if they gain the whole world and yet lose their own soul? Or what would somebody give in exchange for their soul? 
In other words, there's nothing more valuable, nothing on this earth more valuable, more precious than the state, the condition of your soul. And so we see a principle here in God's dealings with Israel that we're also going to see at work in the life of this man, Naaman. And that is this, that sometimes God allows hardship and difficulty into our lives in order to build faith in our hearts and to drive us to him. I'll say that again. Sometimes God allows hardship and difficulty into our lives in order to build faith in our hearts and drive us to him. We see that with Israel, and we're going to see it with Naaman as well. It tells us that Naaman was a great man. Maybe some of you know people in your lives who are like this, right? They're a coworker, a friend, maybe a family member, somebody who's not a Christian, and yet they're respectable, they're honest, they're fair, they're trustworthy. If you were in a bind, you would call them. And maybe you say, you know what? I know a lot of dodgy people who call themselves Christians, but I know some people who are actually pretty decent folks who are not Christians, right? That's who Naaman was. He was, a, he was a good dude, but he wasn't a Christian. He was a great person, even though he didn't follow the true and living God. Well, it says there in verse 1 that Naaman, you want to know how good he was? It says that he was actually a mighty man of valor. Just two weeks ago, we did a men's conference up in Cheyenne, and that was our theme, Mighty Man of Valor. You know why? Because that phrase, Mighty Man of Valor, it's only used six times in the whole Bible. Six times. It's only used to describe six people, people of unique character, people of unique courage. I've got a list there for you that they'll put up on the screen of the people in the Bible who were called Mighty Men of Valor. But here's what's interesting. Naaman is the only Gentile person in the whole Bible who's given that list, who's put on that list, called a mighty man of valor, even though he's a Gentile. So Naaman, he's not a believer. He doesn't worship the true and living God. And yet he's a, he's a good person, as we might say, right? And, and maybe sometimes you are tempted to think to yourself, you know what? Isn't that all that really matters in the end anyway? Just being a decent person? I mean, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you treat people right, as long as, you're, as long as you're kind, right? Because you can be good without God, can't you? So if you're a good person, like Naaman was, well, then it doesn't really matter what you believe about God. It doesn't really matter if you follow Jesus, right? Wrong. Wrong. And let me, let, me, let me show you why. It does matter. Here's why. Look at what it says at the end of verse 1. After telling us that Naaman was such a great person, such a mighty man of valor, it also says this. But... Right? I don't like big butts. But he was a leper. He was a leper. That's a big but. Naaman had everything going for him. He was rich. He was successful. People liked him. But he was a leper. Listen, guys, leprosy in those days, it was a death sentence. It wasn't it wasn't good. No one survived leprosy. It had no cure. If you got leprosy, not only were you going to die, but you were going to suffer as you died. It was a terrible death. Let me just give you a brief overview of what happens when you get leprosy. When you contracted leprosy, the first thing that would happen is it would start out small, kind of like no big deal. It starts out with just red spots all over your skin. It could be something else, right? It could be chicken pox or something like that. That's kind of how it starts out. But then after a while, those spots, they kind of spread over your entire body. And then they get bigger and they turn white and kind of shiny and scaly and they get hard. 
So those spots, they grow, they turn white, and they get hard. Your skin turns hard. And when that happens, when your skin begins to turn hard, those spots turn hard, what happens is that you would lose sensation in your body. Oftentimes, the ways that lepers died wasn't actually from leprosy itself. It's because they would get infections, because they would lose sensation in their body. So they would stub their toe, they would break a bone, and they wouldn't even feel it. Right? And so they would, they would have open wounds on their body, and they would get infections. That's usually how they died. And so they would lose sensation and feeling in their body. Now, pretty soon, that would spread over their whole body, and it would cause their, their hair to fall out. You might be wondering, Nick, do you have leprosy? Well, I, I sure hope not, right? Uh, it, would, it would also fall out of your eyebrows. Um, which thankfully I still have some, right? If you would, it would, it would then, it would cause a rot to take place in your body, right? Like it would cause your fingernails to fall out, your toenails to fall out, it would cause your bones to soften. Uh, eventually your fingers would rot off at the joint and your, your body parts would just start dropping off of your body. Your gums would shrink, which would cause your teeth to fall out. You wouldn't be able to eat properly anymore. Your, your, it would eat away at the soft tissue, the cartilage in your face, and eventually your nose would just fall off. And eventually th this would just waste, you would waste away until you perished. Now you might be inclined to say, Wow, that's bad, right? Like, that's a bummer that Naaman got sick. Well, too bad for him. I'm glad I don't have leprosy. Now, listen to me, guys. There's a very real sense in which Naaman's problem is also your problem. I'm going to show you why. Because throughout the Bible, leprosy is consistently referred to as a picture of sin. Because there are a lot of similarities between what leprosy does to your body and what sin does to your soul. So this isn't just Naaman's problem, guys. This is my problem. This is your problem today. Like Naaman, you may have a lot of things going for you in your life. You might be successful. You might have some money in the bank. You might be liked by other people. But you're a leper. Let me explain. Here are some ways in which leprosy was like sin. I've got five of them up here on the screen for you. Number one, it began with a hardening and a loss of feeling. Okay, so leprosy began with a hardening of the skin, which led to a loss of the ability to feel. In the same way, in our lives, sin usually starts out small. It doesn't seem like a big deal at first, but as it progresses, you know what happens? You lose the ability to feel. The Bible describes it like this. It says that it's like having a seared conscience. You think about when you sear a steak. That's what we're talking about. Something that's fleshy, and it gets seared. And when it gets seared, what happens? It gets hard. Another, another way it describes it, it says it's like having a calloused heart. How many of you have ever tried playing the guitar? Well, what happens is if you play on a guitar with steel strings, it really hurts. Sometimes it can even cause your fingers to bleed when you're first starting out playing the guitar. It can be painful. Because over, but what happens is over time, if you continue playing the guitar, continue using those fingers, you develop calluses on your fingertips. The skin on your finger, fingers becomes thick. And what used to hurt, what used to cause you to bleed, no longer does. You no longer feel anything because it's thickened. It's gotten hard. And what, what the Bible's saying is that's something that happens in our hearts as well with sin. How many of you can remember a time in your life when you did something for the first time that you knew was wrong? You did something that you knew was wrong. Do you remember how you felt? You felt terrible. You felt awful, right? You're, you're confessing to God. I will never do that again. I am so sorry. It bothered your conscience. It hurt your heart to do it. But then you did it again. It still kind of hurt, but it was a little bit easier that time, wasn't it? 
And then you did it again and again and again to the point where you could do it without feeling anything at all. What had happened there is you developed a calloused heart, a seared conscience. See, the Holy Spirit is still speaking to you about that thing, still saying, hey, Nick, don't do this. But you don't feel anything anymore because your heart has become hard and calloused. Your conscience has become seared. Guys, that's a dangerous place to be. Because like a leper who has lost the ability to feel, you are doing things to yourself that are causing damage to your soul, but you don't even feel it anymore. So what's the solution? Well, the only hope for a heart that has become hard is for God to give you a new heart, a new heart, to remove that heart that's hard like stone and to replace it with one that's like flesh, a heart of flesh, one that's soft, that's responsive to the touch, one that has the ability to feel. Well, another way that leprosy is a picture of sin is that leprosy is highly contagious. In the book of Leviticus, chapters 13 and 14, you can check it out later, there's a set of laws there called the laws of the leper. They deal with leprosy. And one of the things they talk about is that leprosy is highly contagious. Now, listen, the difference between sickness and health, you ever think about this, is that health is not contagious. Health doesn't spread from one person to the next in the same way that sickness does. And the same is true spiritually as well. Health doesn't necessarily spread contagiously, but sickness does. That's why it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, see to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many are defiled. It says, see to it that no root of bitterness springs up and defiles many. Listen, bitterness towards God or towards other people, the Bible says it's like a sickness that can spread throughout a group of people. It's something we need to be on guard against ourselves as a church and as individuals. But listen, it's not just bitterness that can spread from one person to another like a contagion, but other sins as well. And so we want to be really wise as to who we allow to influence us and how we are influencing other people. Another way that leprosy is like sin is that leprosy leads to isolation. It leads to isolation. Because it was so contagious, those who contracted leprosy were forced to leave the community. They were forced to go out into the wilderness and live their lives there as their disease progressed and got worse, and they eventually died. It was just basically, sorry, you can't be in society anymore. You need to go and, and fend for yourself. Sometimes they would band together in these little you know, makeshift leper colonies. But to be a leper basically meant this. You were cut off from those who knew you, those who loved you. You were cut off from friends and family. And that's what sin does to us as well, guys. Do you know that? Sin destroys relationships. I guarantee if you look at the relationship problems in your life, all of them can be traced back to sin in some form or another. Sin destroys relationships, it splits families, and it breaks hearts. Another way that sin was so or leprosy was so devastating in isolation is that it isolated people from the temple. Now, this was a really big deal. You were cut off from the temple if you had leprosy. Now, understandably so, right? It's a very contagious disease. And that was a big deal because, listen, if you were unable to go to the temple, that meant that you were unable to perform the ceremonies for cleansing, the ceremonies for the atonement of your sins, the ceremonies that were absolutely essential in order for you to have fellowship with God. So to be a leper meant that you were basically a lost cause. They had given up on you. There's no hope for you. There's no solution for you. And that is exactly the condition we are in because of sin. 
Not only does it destroy our relationships with other people, but guys, sin creates a barrier between you and God because God is holy. You can't be in fellowship with God if, there is, if you are unholy. He is holy. And so in order for you to have a relationship with God, you need to be cleansed. You need to be forgiven. You need to be made clean. But as a leper, there's no way to do that. There's no way for you to do that for yourself. So sin, like leprosy, it isolates us from people, and it isolates us from God. It's devastating. Here's another way that sin is like leprosy. It results in humiliation. Have you ever seen that? Sin results in humiliation. Leprosy would disfigure your body. You can imagine children seeing a leper and, and running away in terror. And even if, even if somebody accidentally came close to where you were living, you know, out on the outskirts of town, out in the wilderness, just imagine you would have to shout out to them. It's required by law that you would shout out if anybody accidentally came near to you, stay away, I'm a leper. How humiliating. They would run from you in terror. In the same way, listen, sin does the same thing. It degrades you. It humiliates you. It steals your humanity. And you know what it does eventually? It inevitably destroys you. Once you had it, you could never get rid of it. It was a death sentence. That brings us to the second part of our sentence. Remember, we're working our way through the sentence. And here's our sentence. Healing from leprosy requires a work of God. It requires a work of God. Listen, because there was no cure for leprosy, the only hope to be healed from leprosy was by a sovereign act of God. Now come back with me, if you will, to 2 Kings. I know we've been a little bit all over the place. Let's go back to our story. After meeting Naaman in verse 1 and finding out that he had leprosy, in verse 2, we find out that Naaman had a servant girl who was from Israel. She had been captured, literally like kidnapped, in a Syrian raid. And they had taken her back to Syria, where she was forced into slavery. She worked as a slave in Naaman's house. Imagine being kidnapped from your home, taken to a foreign land, and forced into slavery. How terrible. And yet, when this servant girl from Israel hears that Naaman has leprosy, look at what she does. Verse 3, she told Naaman's wife, there is a prophet in Samaria who might be able to cure Naaman of his leprosy. I, I find this girl amazing. I just want to say, here's why. Think about all the trauma that she has endured in her life at the hands of these Syrian people. She's been kidnapped. She probably saw terrible things done to her family members when, when this raid was taking place. And now she's been carried off to a foreign land and forced to work as a slave for some rich lady. And yet, when she hears that Naaman is sick, her heart is filled with compassion, in spite of everything they've done to her. Her heart is filled with compassion to share with him the little bit that she knows about how he might be healed. Guys, I got to say, isn't that a picture of what evangelism is? This is what evangelism, which means sharing our faith. This is what it's all about. Evangelism is about caring enough about people to share with them the good news that there is a way to be healed from the leprosy that plagues our souls. This girl was, was not trying to force her beliefs on Naaman and his wife, right? That's not what this was. No, she cared. She cared enough to share with them what she knew, that there was one way to be saved from this terrible, incurable disease that Naaman had. And, and I just say, may God help us 
friends. Isn't that right? May God help us to have this kind of love, this level of concern for other people, and this level of courage to be able to speak up and share with them the good news of the hope of Jesus and how we can be cured from the leprosy that plagues our souls. So look at verse 4. Naaman tells the king of Syria, Right? He, he's the commander. He goes to the king. He says, hey, I heard from this slave girl who works in our house. There's this prophet in Israel. He might be able to, to help me out. So verse 5, the king of Syria writes a letter to the king of Israel, hands it to Naaman, and says, OK, take this letter to the king of Israel just as a way of introduction and, and what I'm asking him to do. Now remember, the Israel did not like Syria, right? This wasn't like a friendly relationship that they had. But this is exactly how desperate and hopeless this situation was. They had nowhere else to turn, no other options. He says, look, I know those guys hate us. I know that we're at war with them, but let's just ask them to have mercy on us. So Naaman takes this letter, and he goes. And it says he also took with him 10 talents of silver, six shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. Historians uh, have estimated, I read in one place, that this is about $1.5 million in today's money. $1.5 million. Again, this is how desperate Naaman is to be healed from the disease. But Naaman also understands all of his money isn't going to do him any good if he's dead, right? So he's willing to say, everything I got, I'm willing to lay it all on the line just so I can be healed. Verse 6, when Naaman arrives in Israel, he goes straight to the king. By the way, the king at this time is named Jehoram. And he hands him this letter. And King Jehoram opens this letter, and he says, I have sent you, here's what the letter says, I have sent you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of leprosy. Now, it's interesting. Obviously, the king of Syria assumed that the king of Israel had a great relationship with the prophet Elisha, which, of course, wasn't true at all. In fact, the prophet Elisha wasn't even welcome in the palace of the king of Syria. And so when the king of Israel reads this, it, he, the letter doesn't say, so that your prophet can heal Naaman of leprosy. No, it says, so that you can heal him of leprosy. And the king of Israel reads that, and he freaks out. He's like, this is some kind of setup, man. He's asking me to do something that he knows I can't do. And when I can't do it, then he's going to get mad that I didn't do it. And then they're going to use that as an even bigger reason to attack us. And so he tears his clothes, and he shouts, am I God? to kill and make alive, that this man sends word to me to cure this man of leprosy? See, the king of Israel understood that the, this was an incurable disease. The only way to be healed from this disease was by a sovereign act of God. Listen, in the same way, the sickness of sin within our souls is not something that can be fixed or resolved by you just trying to be a better person, by you just trying to be nice. There's no amount of money that can be given to anybody or anywhere that can fix this problem of sin, the sickness in our souls. The only way to be healed from the sickness in our souls, the sickness that plagues our souls, is by a sovereign act of God. But there's one more thing, and that's the end of our sentence here. Go back to that sentence with me. Healing from leprosy requires a work of God, and it's received through a response of faith. Verse 8, it says that Elisha the prophet, he hears about Naaman. You can imagine bringing all that money. He probably also brought with him a big entourage. And so he hears that he's in town, and he says to the king, sends a messenger to the king, hey, send Naaman over to me. Let me see if I can help him out. So Naaman comes and says in verses 9 and 10, when Naaman arrives at Elisha's house, 
Elisha doesn't even go out to meet him himself. He sends a servant out, and the servant gives him this message. The servant says, here's what Elisha says. Go and wash in the Jordan River seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. Cool, right? Except it's not, because look at verse 11. When Naaman heard that, he was angry. In verse 12, it says that he went away in a rage, right? It says, why? Why would Naaman be angry? Well, he tells us in verse 11, he says, behold, I thought that that prophet was going to come out to me, and he would call on the name of the Lord, and he would wave his hand over the place, and, be cu and I would be cured of leprosy. In other words, Naaman had a very specific expectation, didn't he? Very specific. He's going to come out. He's going to wave his hand. He's going to do all these things. And when Elisha didn't do what, Na what Naaman expected him to do, Naaman got angry. Friends, isn't that what happens so many times with us in regard to our relationship with God? We sometimes have very specific expectations. God's going to do this, and then I'm going to do that, and then God's going to do this. And then if God doesn't do what we thought he was going to do, according to our expectations, not according to anything that he promised to do, then we get all upset, don't we? We say, oh, well, God didn't do what he, what he, what he should have done, when I wanted it done, when I expected it, how I expected it. And we get all upset, just like Naaman here. Well, listen, Elisha's instructions were very simple, and they were very uncomplicated. Very simple, uncomplicated. Go wash in the Jordan River seven times, then you'll be healed. And yet Naaman struggled to follow these instructions. Why? Why would you struggle to follow such simple instructions? Well, here's why. Because on the one hand, these instructions were very humbling. They're very humbling. Let me, let me explain why they were humbling. The River Jordan is frankly not a very nice river. Those of you who went with us to Israel last year, you saw for yourself. It is a uh, just kind of a muddy creek is what we might call it if it was around here. It's not very big. It's about the size of the St. Vrain here in Longmont, uh, except, like I said, it's not very clean. And in fact, there are some places along the River Jordan where there are these fish that swim in the water and they bite you, right? So a lot of my friends who are pastors, I, I had asked them, you know, we were looking for a location to do baptisms on the Jordan River. And they said, well, make sure you don't go to these areas in the north, which is, by the way, where they are located, because in the north, there in the Jordan, they have these fish that swim around in the pools and they bite you. It doesn't really hurt, but it's really creepy. And so a lot of the pastors who do these, they'll wear wetsuits because it's just so awful to feel these fish biting you the whole time. Well, the other thing is, even where we went in the Jordan, there were no fish biting you, but it, it was kind of like mucky and murky. Like when you get out of the water, you want to take a shower so that you can feel clean again. See, see, when Elisha told Naaman to go and bathe in the Jordan, Naaman's like, that's the best you've got? Take a bath in your muddy creek? That's going to fix my leprosy? Bro, first of all, I've taken lots of baths. Let me tell you, my problem's bigger than just washing off in water. And if I was going to take a bath, I wouldn't take a bath in your muddy little creek here. I'd do it in one of my big, beautiful rivers back in Syria. But listen, it wasn't anything special about the water of the Jordan River. It wasn't that the Jordan River was somehow magical or blessed. Listen, the issue here was something else. It was a question. Will Naaman be willing? Will he be willing to humble himself and take a step of faith and obey the word of God through the prophet and do what God's telling him to do, or won't he? It was a question of faith and obedience and humility. Look at what happens in verse 13. Naaman's servants, they come near, and they say to him, My father, 
It is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? They're like, what is your problem? Why aren't you just doing what the prophet told you? He told you what to do. Just go and do it. Listen, if Elisha had told Naaman to walk across hot coals or to crawl on his hands and knees over broken glass, Naaman would have done it. If Elisha would have asked for a million dollars, Naaman was ready to pay it. If he would have said, make a thousand sacrifices to the God of Israel, Naaman would have done it in a second. Naaman's kind of like meatloaf. You know, meatloaf's like, I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. Naaman's like, I'll do anything to be healed, but I won't do that, right? If, you know, and so it's because Elisha asked Naaman to do something that was, number one, it seemed too simple. And number two, it was very humbling. It seemed too simple, and it was very humbling. Friends, God has provided a way for us to be healed from the leprosy that plagues our souls. It says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ, the only truly holy person who ever lived, as he hung on the cross, the Bible says that the Father transferred all of your sickness, the sickness of your soul, he transferred it onto him. And Jesus died in your place so that you might live, so you might be healed of your spiritual leprosy, so that we who are cut off from God because of the leprosy of our souls, we can now be brought near. It was an act of God, an act of sovereign grace and mercy. But here's the question. What must happen in order for you to receive that healing that God has provided for you in Jesus? Well, the Bible says the way to receive it is not by anything that you do. It's by simply trusting in, looking to and trusting in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. And sometimes, maybe even some of you, you look at that and you say, hang on a second right? So you can just murder people and do bad stuff. And then all you got to do is just look at Jesus and believe that what he did was enough. That's too simple. It's too easy. Surely there must be something that you must do, something great that you must lay on the table, that you must contribute to the process. And the answer is, surprisingly, no. Jesus did it all. Salvation is an act of God. Now, for some people like Naaman, they struggle with that because it just seems too simple. Just like dip yourself in the Jordan River seven times. But another reason why people struggle with the, with the gospel is like Naaman because it's extremely humbling. You know what? In order to receive what Jesus did for you, you have to admit that you are incapable of saving yourself. That no matter how good you are, you're not good enough. In order to receive forgiveness, you have to admit that you have something to be forgiven of. In order to receive healing, you have to admit that you're sick. And for many of us, that's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? Especially if you're like, Naaman, you're a decent person. You know, maybe the criminals and the drug addicts, right? The people trying to stab the president. Maybe they need to be saved by Jesus, but not me. I'm a pretty good person. I pay my bills on time. I get my kids to school five minutes early. But Naaman, listen, you, you have come to this place. You have to come like Naaman to this place where you say, you finally acknowledge, no matter how good of a person I might be, I am incapable of healing the sickness in my soul. I'm incapable of solving the problem that I have. 
And look what it says, glorious, in verse 14. Naaman went and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Even though at first Naaman refused, finally he broke down. He decided to humble himself and step out in faith and do what God told him to do. And as he took that step of faith and obedience, he was healed and cleansed. Friends, the good news of the gospel is that there is hope for lepers like us. Do you know that? There is hope for lepers like us. Listen, coronavirus can destroy your body. Cancer can destroy your body. But there is something that is infinitely more serious than either of those admittedly terrible diseases. The leprosy of sin, which is found in all of our souls. But Jesus came. And on the cross, he took the sickness of our souls upon himself. And by his wounds, we are healed. And the way to receive this gift is by faith, by humbling yourself and admitting that you need, that you are incapable of doing this for yourself and by trusting in Jesus and what he accomplished for you on the cross. Listen, when you really understand the gospel, it doesn't only make you humble. Do you know that? When you understand the gospel, it doesn't only make you humble. You know what else it does? It makes you incredibly confident. You know why the gospel makes you confident? Because here's the message of the gospel, that God loves you so much that he took your sickness upon himself. He left the throne of heaven and traded it for a cross. He traded a crown of glory for a crown of thorns because that's how much he loves you. And let me just tell you this. If he loves you that much, do you think you can trust him? I think so. If he loves you that much, do you think you can trust him with every area of your life? Do you think you can trust him enough to believe and to do and to receive every word that he says to you, knowing that it comes from a heart of love that was willing to sacrifice everything for you? I think that we can say, absolutely. So may we look to Jesus and respond to him in faith and obedience this week and in every area of our lives. Amen? You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.